Kamala Harris paid Nashville, Tennessee a visit over the weekend, not to meet the families of the six Christians murdered by the trans, not to applaud the brave officers of the Nashville Police Department, but to meet two Democrats who led an insurrection at the Capitol and perpetuate a bald-faced lie. No, ma'am. You can get away with that crap in other states, but here in the volunteer state, the BS stops here, and the show starts now. So last week, Tennessee Republicans showed a couple of loudmouth insurrection leaders what it's like to be in the legislative minority here in the great red state by expelling them from the legislature. Now, the media will tell you reps Justin Jones and Justin Pearson were expelled because they're black and spoke out against gun violence. And that would be, you guessed it, a lie. No, those two Democrats were expelled because they led this disorderly, aggressive, and militant protest at the Capitol two weeks ago. The two Democrats used bullhorns, interrupted official proceedings, cheered on the mob of, what do you call them? Oh yeah, insurrectionists, and guess what? They paid the price. There was a third Democrat who participated in this crap, Rep. Gloria Johnson. She came within one vote of also being expelled. Now, according to her own defense, she said she just stood there in silent support during the ruckus, but when she spoke to the media, oh, she changed her tune. Why were those two expelled and you weren't? Well, I think it's pretty clear I'm a 60-year-old white woman and they are two young black men. Oh yes, it must be racism. Wrong. But these Democrats will use that card because it's gotten them quite a bit of attention and notoriety. The two expelled Democrats liken themselves to Jesus, calling their punishment not only racist but also reminiscent of Jim Crow era trial. And of course, when Kamala saw her opportunity to jump on the race and gun control card, well, she hopped on that plane like a witch out of hell. She came, she squawked, she lied. A democracy says you don't silence the people. You do not stifle the people. You don't turn off their microphones when they are speaking about the importance of life and liberty. Hmm. Well, by the left's new standard, this also appears to be incitement to insurrection. But let me guess, that's not a thing when it's led by Democrats. Just like the BLM riots and loot fest that destroyed cities were just social justice at work. Yeah, sure. If y'all watch the fake news media, you are being lied to about what happened here in Nashville. So let me give you the truth. On Monday, March 27th, a trans murdered six Christians, including three children under age 10, in a targeted attack. The manifesto has yet to be released. On Thursday, March 30th, gun control activists stormed the Tennessee Capitol and three Democrats led it. On Thursday, April 6th, two of those Democrats were expelled for their actions. Welcome to the red state of Tennessee where elections have consequences. If Democrats controlled the legislature, they would have done the same thing times five and we all know it. But too bad, so sad. This is Tennessee and we are sick and tired of the Democrats setting the rules, then breaking and bending them to their whims and wishes. No more. You will no longer get carte blanche to do whatever the hell you want. So you can call this a conservative resurgence or the silent majority getting louder, whatever you want, but get used to it. Coming up, I've got executive director of Tennessee Stands, Gary Humble, in studio with more. These folks may not have paid attention, but America is going to go, that guy is a rock star because you were a rock star. I'm so sorry you were asked those racist questions. 
I hope none of y'all were eating during that because the bar factor on that disingenuous word vomit was a 10 out of 10. Joining me now with more of what you need to know is executive director of Tennessee Stands, Gary Humble. Gary, you've been doing great work for Tennessee, and I've been following you ever since the lockdowns, the shutdowns, the madness of Mayor John Chicken Cooper here in Nashville. <laughs> and I'm really happy to have you. I want to get into what this means for Tennessee and for Nashville. But first, we have to address the national media perspective on this because Tennessee is hot right now, right? Yeah. Everybody's talking about it. They have it completely wrong. So before we talk about the effects of what this expulsion is going to have, I want to talk about the actual situation. The media is covering it like two black men were expelled for being black and for being gun control activists. So let's help correct the narrative. I've done it, but I want you to really message the national audience so that they understand what really happened here. Right. I mean, look, clearly all of us agree that are there at the Capitol doing the doing the work of the legislature that they broke the rules. They broke the rules of decorum. Uh, and Article 2, Section 12 of the Tennessee State Constitution gives the House members the ability to set their own rules, uh, the ability to punish, and the ability to expel. So there's no question that they have the constitutional authority to do what they did. And there should be no question that, that what all three, two got expelled, but what all three of these lawmakers did was break the House rules of decorum. Um, the, the issue is sort of, is that this is the first time in Tennessee history that lawmakers have been expelled solely for breaking a procedural rule and, and not right. breaking an actual law. And so I think that's part of the, the contentious nature of, of the discourse that's being had. Uh, but nonetheless, these two members that got expelled brought it on themselves. Uh, you know, they, did they deserve it? I don't, I don't know that they deserved it necessarily, uh, but they earned it themselves. Mm -hmm. They they earned the right to be expelled from the House of Representatives. And the third, Gloria Johnson, who we just saw there blubbering, you know, she's happy that her ass got saved, but now she's <laughs> blubbering and she's pandering. And quite frankly, she's to me the worst one of them all. But in her own defense, she was the one that said, I just stood there. I didn't do anything. But now it's <laughs> like, oh, it's because I'm white. So let's break down her. She didn't get expelled right. because her participation was unlike the other two. Yeah, and absolutely. And that was, you know, they showed video during the, the hearings on the uh, resolutions. And the video conclusively showed that she, she never pounded on the desk. She never grabbed the bullhorn. She never shouted. You know, her, I think the level of her voice, uh, which she stated in her testimony, sort of never went beyond what was happening beyond the bullhorn, right? Mm -hmm. So I think, I think that saved her. And to some degree, even though she stood her ground on her position, uh, I do think Representative Johnson showed a, showed just an, a, a smidgen of humility, you know, while she was uh, up there defending herself. And I think that probably played worth noting. Right. 66 votes required to expel. She got 65. So, right. so she was saved by, by one vote. By one vote. And yeah. her behavior was much different. It has nothing to do with the fact Clearly, that she was no a question. white woman. She's, I don't think a lot of Republicans like her. I don't think they care that she is a white no, woman. We no don't Republican. like her. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. So it was about the actions, right? So yeah. you brought up that, hey, listen, they just broke a procedural rule. So is it really that big of a deal? And people would say, mm, probably not. But then, as I said in my opening, yeah, but the Democrats would have done it to Republicans 10 out of 10 times. So the fact that Republicans are always expected to be like, oh, well, but is that really fair? It's like, well, yeah. our former president faces 136 years for a glorified NDA payment to a porn star. Right. So I think we know how the Democrats <laughs> operate here. So this is what I tell people. Hey, listen, 
I think Republicans are sick of sitting back in the corner and being the timid ones, and it's like, oh, not a big deal. Hey, the Democrats are going to do it. We're either going to get in the game or we're going to keep losing. So we might as well take our majority and do something with it. But that brings us to what's going to happen next, right? So these two are going to be restored. Uh, At least one of them for sure in Nashville is going to be restored. It's become a big issue. Kamala Harris came here. She, you know, what amounts to, by their definition, incited an insurrection with her powerful language. So they're going to be reinstated. What happens next? Yeah, well, so they'll they'll be reinstated, which is on an interim basis, because it's it's less than 12 months from the actual election. The Constitution does require a special election. So even even their reappointment, should that happen, will be interim. Uh, but I would also tell you, I fully expect both of them to win their special election as well. So not only be a, a reappointed, but win re-election. I had a friend call me earlier this week and sort of sort of said, you know, Gary, it, it seems like the left is playing chess in this instance and the Republicans are playing checkers. And I, I got to say to some degree, uh, I, I agree with that statement because these representatives are going to come back with a much larger platform, uh, much more you know, power, if you want to call it that, though, in a, in a supermajority Republican legislature, which we may mm-hmm. talk about today or not. Um, the Democrats don't really have any power in Tennessee, which is why all of this a little bit to me personally is absurd because it's taking our eye off the ball, off of the real issues. Right. Uh, there is not a Democrat, fortunately, here in Tennessee, we live in a great state, uh, that has any power to change the game on any issue in a supermajority Republican legislature. So point being, was it, was it really worth expelling these three members over a procedural rule, considering that nothing they could vote on would actually change the game here in Tennessee, and you've just gave them a national platform right. uh, and put all eyes on our state? I think we're always damned if we do, damned if we don't, because nope, if they wouldn't no done anything, we would look like we were timid. Can't believe we, those Republicans, yeah. you know, can't fight back. Yes. Yeah. But then now that we did, now we gave them a national platform. Yeah. So that's part of the problem. Luckily, this is still a very red state. Maybe not in Nashville, maybe not in Memphis, but it's still a very red state, and we expect it to be like that for right. at least years to come, I would hope. But let's talk about that, because Republicans do have the power here in Tennessee. But you wouldn't know it, because I don't think Republicans are aggressive enough in this state. <laughs> Why do you think that is? Well, it's part of what we do at Tennessee Stands is trying to convey the message that if, and and here's here's a simple fact, every single conservative issue that you can think about, whether it be election integrity, what's happening in in our schools, um, medical freedom, you know, especially Mm post-COVID, all of those things that we've won or lost, 100% are at the hands of the Republican Party. Why? Because in the House of Representatives alone, we have 99 representatives. 75 of those 99 are Republicans. And when you think about a supermajority, it's not just in terms of votes. The other important thing to note is constitutionally, that means that without one Democrat showing up to work, we have a quorum. So Republicans in the state of Tennessee can meet in the House and the Senate, do business, pass laws, and not only have no Democrats not vote, They don't need Democrats to show up. Um, I I think that's an important distinction for people to understand whenever the national message is now, boy, Tennessee, I mean, the GOP is just fighting it. Well, uh, I I appreciate that they're fighting the left. Uh, The issue for me is I want to see a party that's willing to stand firm and fight for conservative values. That's what does not always happen here in the state of Tennessee. 
Well, let's talk about one accolade that we do have, which has been also the subject of national controversy, and that's the fact that we protect children from drag shows and yep. mutilation. I mean, that was a big win. That was a message that we sent. A lot of states are following suit. A lot of states are doing similar yep. things. Standing for children, you know, we got a lot of flack for that in Tennessee, but I think that we're very proud of what they were able to accomplish. Uh, again, though, on the national stage, it really doesn't matter what they say about us. Right. But I wonder on down the line here with the way Tennessee is changing, how many years do you think we have to be reliably red? Is this going to be a red state for the foreseeable future? Or are we going to go like the way of Colorado, Arizona, Pennsylvania, and other states and be purple? I know that sounds weird in Tennessee, but there's a lot of changes. Yeah, those pieces of legislation were huge wins. Definitely proud of a party and some of those representatives that were able to stand firm because, look, the fact is, they took some serious death threats from the left. I mean, you know, it, it, it took some bravery to stand up and put their name on that legislation. So kudos to them for that. It needed to be done. We have to protect kids here in Tennessee, and we did that. Um, you know, in terms of staying red and going blue, I live in Williamson County, which I think uh, we're number one probably for California refugees. Yeah. And, you know, there's a sentiment, of course, don't California my Tennessee. I get that. I stand with that. Um, however, I will tell you, and I, I've done these meetings across the state from Memphis to Bristol uh, over the last three years with Tennessee Stands. I've met hundreds of these folks coming from California. They, they seem to me, to most part, to be legitimate freedom refugees. Mm -hmm. And they're fighters. And here's why. Because they were in a state where they watched uh, themselves lose everything. Every mm -hmm. semblance of what America looks like, feels like they lost they relocated, picked up everything. And, you know, some of them just straight up quit their jobs, had no idea, you know, if they were going to be able to relocate their business, moved. And now they're in Tennessee and they realize there's nowhere else to go. So if we don't hold the line here in Tennessee, we've lost America completely, which is why I think there's such a huge target on the back, because clearly the globalists, the Marxists, the party wants to take down America. They have to. But in order to take down America, I think you've, you've got to take down Tennessee uh, because I think we are a conservative bastion, you know, in this country. And uh, so that's why folks are moving here. And uh, my, my hope is that the people that are moving here are willing to stand and fight for freedom and fight against the left because we need them. Mm -hmm. uh, there, there's a lot of complacency in our party. There's a lot of, uh, well, you know, this is Tennessee. Nothing bad ever happens here in right. Tennessee. It's a great place. Um, and that sort of can give you a, a blind spot in terms of, like you say, can this change? It could change. Um, I hope it doesn't. I think that we'll see a supermajority for a long time. Uh, we just went through some very contentious redistricting uh, here in the state, and I will tell you, uh, Republicans did the did the job of what any party should do when they're redistricting and, yeah. ma and made sure that most of those districts, I think, will be held for a long time to come by Republicans. That's great to hear. And you're right about Tennessee. I mean, I came here from California. I'm not a Californian, but I moved from California. Obviously, I think everyone knows where I stand on freedom. But I moved at the start of COVID. And I remember following you guys because I got here and I'm thinking, oh, we're still locked down. This mayor is still locking down, closing our businesses here in Tennessee. I thought yeah. I left this in Los Angeles. Yeah. So I think that you're right. And the need to fight for Tennessee is even more important given the national landscape. So I'm glad to see it. And just real quickly, as we conclude, you mentioned some of the things that conservatives should be doing. A couple of things, what would you say is the, the agenda item that conservatives should really be fighting for here while we have such a good position legislatively? 
Uh, we've, we've got to take control of education. I mean, we know that the federal U.S. Department of Education has its site uh, on Tennessee. Uh, you know, Speaker Sexton, to his credit, has talked about recently, which you won't hear often, removing federal money from our education here in the state. That's a tall order. Um, a lot of our money is federal money, but I think the, the more that we can do so that the state of Tennessee can be independent from any sort of strings attached in our education, that's going to be a big win. That's going to go a long way to, to uh, attack tackling issues like CRT and all of the things that's happening. So how do we do that? If we don't receive federal funding, can we make up that money elsewhere? How does that look? Because I think a lot of people are hearing that and thinking, that would be fantastic. Let's go that way. Yeah. Is it possible? Yeah, so let me tell you how possible it actually is in terms of education. Statewide seems near impossible because when you think about a currently a $52 billion budget, $20 billion of those dollars is federal money. Right. About 40% of our state budget is federal. But when you think about education, only 10% of the state's education budget is federal. You know, so that's a much lower bar, right, to tackle. But I had one senator explain to me, there's money that we have to spend as a state in order to comply with what's necessary to get the federal dollars right, to right. begin with. So if you say, look, we don't want that money, we don't want that 10%, there's a chunk of that 90% that we don't even have to spend anymore you know, to get the federal dollars. So right. I, I think getting federal money out of education is the lowest hanging fruit, it's attainable. And boy, if Tennessee could lead the way on that, I, I think that would really be something that could catapult um, uh, that kind of effort in states across the nation. And we, we've got, we have to do it. Right. I love that. And this really is my last question because I'm very curious your stance on this. Primary season is around the corner. Do you think, we don't have an announcement from Ron DeSantis yet. Do you think Tennessee is a DeSantis yeah. or a Trump state? Man, that, that's a hard one. Um, look, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, Tennessee stands has been, I think, in the on the front lines in terms of fighting against mandates for medical freedom. We, you know, I sued the governor. Mm -hmm. I sued school districts. I sued hospitals. I sued everybody we could see on these mandates, um, trying to protect the individual liberties of, of people. Um, I, I think DeSantis's strong stance in Florida on the mandates, on the shot, uh, especially in terms of children. I mean, they their uh, guy that leads their Department of Health, their uh, Surgeon General in yes. Florida, was I think the only one in the entire yep. country that said, look, we're not, we're not actually we're not gonna give this shot to kids in our state, which was a, a huge stance. Mm -hmm. So I think that's gained a lot of notoriety. Uh, however, I think there are, are just as many people that are still frustrated about 2020, you mm -hmm. know, and the fact that, you know, should President Trump have a second shot? Why not? I, I, uh, I hesitate to answer that question in the affirmative either way. Well, here, but we'll I, just end it with this. I, either one it's is, a, is a great choice. Yeah. So it's just going to have to be, we'll have a hard-fought primary season, which is okay. Yeah. Maybe we need that. Maybe we need it. Poll, polls show right now to me, I think, look, if I had to pick one, I think Trump shows very strong here in Tennessee. But, again, I, I think, I think post-COVID, um, DeSantis has made a strong case uh, mm -hmm. for what he's willing to stand against publicly, and that's what people need to see. I love it. Either way. Yeah. So we can just put a little bow on it, and we're in a good <laughs> yep. spot in Tennessee. Yep. Let's just hope it stays like yep. that. Thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you, You Tony. certainly educated me on Tennessee, coming from California, realizing what's worth fighting for here and how much ground we have and cannot afford to give up. So thank you for that, and thanks for all you do over yeah. in Tennessee stands. Thank you. Thank you for the fight. 
Uh, absolutely. All right, still ahead. After the Nashville tragedy, folks should be asking, what does pumping foreign hormones in the body in the pursuit of trans do not only to the body but the mind? Well, I've got a clinical therapist and licensed social worker on deck with the facts you need to know. That's next. This is YouTube star Chris Tyson. Just months ago, he appeared to be your average family man and dad, but flash forward two months later, and after taking hormones and receiving gender-affirming care, well, this is him now. Look, it's not up to me to decide how this person lives his life, but I wonder what impact these unnatural hormones being pumped into the body have, not only on the physicality of a person, but the mentality. Joining me now with the facts and the science is clinical therapist and licensed social worker, Pamela Garfield-Dieger. Pamela, it's great to have you, and I'm really excited to dig into this. It's something that I find so interesting, and I don't think that we discuss this side of it enough. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Sure, I'm great. Thank you for having me. So there's been a lot of discussion, obviously, now. The trans craze is what is trendy. There's a lot of people that are taking not only puberty blockers, but hormones to change their physicality, to change their biology, or they're at least attempting to. So I have to wonder, when somebody takes testosterone or estrogen and they pump that into their body, it's really abnormal. But what impact does that have, not only on the body of somebody, but what it does to their mind and their emotions? Can you help me dig into that? Oh my gosh, it's so many things and it's really overwhelming. And to be honest, I was naive to it before. I didn't realize, I mean, it's, it's marketed as something benign. But now that I've gotten to know people who have struggled with these hormones, now I know the truth. So to the mind, it has severe impacts. For many people, it's different for each person, but for many people, it has severe emotional impacts. For girls, testosterone, it can create severe anger. It can create aggression. It can make them severely unstable. So there are girls that have talked about being in and out of the mental hospitals simply because they're on testosterone. But of course, in the hospitals, they don't acknowledge that it's a t the testosterone. They pump them full of other drugs, such as uh, antidepressants or other things. And they don't acknowledge that it's the testosterone that's giving them this mood imbalance. So Pamela, is um, the reason, I wanna go back to that, is the reason they don't acknowledge it part of this whole gender affirming care farce? They don't wanna say, hey, we know that this is the problem, but we don't wanna recognize it because we have to be in this trans rainbow bubble and we can't say anything ill of gender transition. Is that what's motivating that? That's exactly it. I think that professionals are scared to note that. And I think they're afraid of being labeled transphobic and they're afraid of what the repercussions will be to this ideology. So the ideology takes over and they don't look at the practical implications of what these drugs are doing to people. And going back to what happened here in my home city of Nashville, Tennessee, just a couple of weeks back, we had a woman who was transitioning into a man. We don't know what hormones she may have been on. We don't know the care she received. We know that she did have mental instability issues. She was receiving treatment for that. But if you were to look at this, and of course you can only speculate just as I can only speculate, but would something like this, taking testosterone, would that have the ability to alter somebody's mindset to such a violent place that they could possibly carry out some kind of an atrocity that maybe if they weren't on these hormones, they wouldn't do? Is that a possibility from your perspective? Oh yes, it's definitely a possibility. In fact, if you listen to some interviews of some detransitioners, they speak of feeling homicidal and it scares them. 
So usually what happens to them is they revert to self-harm because they're so scared of that. But if you're a really unstable person and you don't have the social supports and you're not able to manage that, it can clearly lead to violence for sure. Well, then you take that and then you take the rhetoric coming out that trans people are being, you know, targeted, that they are being victimized, that they are people are attempting to erase them. You take that and then you take a cocktail of hormones and testosterone that already makes you unstable and aggressive. And you put those two things together and you have mayhem. And people need to really pay attention to this because this is all the rage now, these puberty blockers, hormones. I want to go into the other side of the conversation. What happens when men, like the example that I started the segment with, this Chris Tyson, they start taking estrogen because they want to become a female. What impact does that have on their mentality and their physicality? It's similar. I I think it sends them more to a depression. It tends to... this is all depends on the individual, but generally speaking, the testosterone will make someone more aggressive and then the estrogen will make a person more depressed and more anxious. And and just in general, it just, it completely destroys the balance of your body, your chemical imbalance. So I I hate that term, but it, it creates an imbalance in just in your mind. So that in itself is a recipe for mental instability. Well, it certainly is, and that's why when we're looking at this, not to be transphobic or anti-rainbow or any of that, just looking at this practically and honestly, quite frankly, wanting to be advocates for people that are going through this, this gender-affirming care now that's the normal, not only for adults, but for young people, we talked about it briefly, but when somebody goes in to see like a therapist like yourself, there are a number of states where gender-affirming care is the gold standard. In fact, that's what therapists and other workers are expected to do. So to me, I'm looking at that and I'm thinking as a medical professional, as a therapist, as a psychologist, that's almost kind of like a dereliction of duty. Can you tell me how the profession is responding to that? And I have a feeling it's going to get worse and worse. What is the plan for professionals like yourself in addressing this issue? Well, I'm one of the few that are able to speak out because this has been captured. Our our institutions have been captured. I'm talking to you from California, and here in California, it is considered illegal to do exploration therapy with people who are transgender, and they're calling that conversion therapy. So that is the tone right now. So I'm able to speak out because I am in a situation where I won't lose my entire livelihood, but people who will are have real reason to be afraid because there is such a threat. You know, when we're talking about this, it reminds me of just a couple of months back when we were having discussions about COVID vaccinations and how some doctors were really concerned about COVID vaccinations, but they couldn't say anything because they could lose their livelihood, their license, their profession. That was, of course, worse in California. So now we're here again. It feels like big pharma is behind a lot of things. And I wonder if people in these communities, these LGBTQ communities, I wonder if they understand the level to which they're being exploited and how using these hormones will really make them a patient for life. Is that something that you see being in the future a big problem for some of these people, being having to be medicated for the rest of their lives? Oh, yeah, they will be medicated for the rest of their lives, regardless of what their path is because either they'll be their body won't be able to produce the hormones that they naturally would make so they need to continue on hormones or they will 
Okay, well, to say most likely have some medical complication where they will have other disabilities where they'll need medication for them. And to answer your earlier question, no, they don't realize that they are going to be a customer of Big Pharma for life and that really they are a big cash cow for these big pharma companies. They don't realize that. They think this is about acceptance. They think this is about becoming their true self and they don't see the connection. That's why it's up to people like you and people like me, quite frankly, to make sure that this stuff gets out there. Because I've talked to a number of people that are in the detransition process. So let's talk about that. When you're working with a detransitioner that's saying, I wish I wouldn't have done this, how difficult is it to reverse what they have already done? And is it even impossible to reverse what they've done if they've taken puberty blockers or home hormones or if they've actually altered their physicality and cutting off or adding body parts? What is that like for that group of people? Yeah, for almost every single one of them, it's impossible to go back. They, Every single one has some kind of irreversible change in their body. And most of them are dealing with chronic pain or disability or sexual dysfunction or they're sterile or their their heart hurt, they have heart palpitations. And they also, the fear is about the future. Most of them are young and they don't know what the future holds for them. So aging is going to be, it's, it's one big experiment. We don't know what they're gonna experience as they get older because their bones hurt, their joints hurt. There are so many things that go wrong with the body, with these hormones. And then of course the surgeries, they can't get body parts back, but they also are dealing with pain or muscle spasms or numbness and tingling and other symptoms. So wow. there, there's so many different things. This feels like part of an anti-human experiment is what it really feels like because you're taking these people and you're really debilitating them for life. You know, it's one thing if you want to be gay. If you want to dress in women's clothes or men's clothes or whatever, that's reversible. But once you start altering your physicality and your mentality, now you're on a completely different path for the rest of your life that you really can't get off of if you decide that the trend has changed. So in closing, what do you say to these individuals who feel like they've been born in the wrong body and popular culture is pushing them in this direction? What do you tell them as somebody who's unafraid to speak out about the truth of this? I tell them to accept themselves for who they are and to work through whatever it is that has gotten to them to the place where they believe they're born in the wrong body and to explore that. Because in almost every single case, there is an underlying issue, such as trauma or being separated from their family or a severe grief and loss, or a deep self-hatred. Perhaps they don't like the fact that they're gay. And a lot of them are also autistic, so they feel like they don't fit in. So to really, I would, it doesn't, it's not a quick one-line answer. It's about forming a connection with a person so they can trust you and help them understand and explore what's really happening with them, why they feel so uncomfortable in their body and help them feel comfortable in their body in the future. Do you find that a lot of the people that are in that position, you mentioned a trauma, are, are many of the people that you speak to victims of sexual abuse at a young age? Because that also seems to be a pattern I've heard before. Yes, that is, that is definitely a pattern, especially for those that really aren't a victim of this social contagion that's happening. So a lot of the detransitioners that we're hearing from now who have been been a transgender person for many years before it became such a broad uh, social contagion, most of them have some kind of sexual trauma in their history. Wow. 
Well, thank goodness for people like you that are still willing to speak the truth, especially in a place like California. I believe that you're doing God's work or whatever you believe in. Whatever work you're doing, it's fantastic. Thank you so much for being so honest, for fighting this fight. We need more people out there like you. And thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you for having me. All right. Up next, give the Democrats another couple of years and real women will be the woolly mammoths of the rainbow era. Extinct. My final thoughts are next. Y'all remember about 10 years ago when the Democrats alleged the Republican war on women? Pretty ironic given where we are now, ain't it? It's time for final thoughts. Welcome to the rainbow era, folks, where women of all shapes, sizes, races, ethnicities are being replaced by white men, and all the while the feminists either keep quiet or cheer it on. And there's no bigger cheerleader for this farce than the Biden administration, which recently released new guidelines to make it easier for predominantly white men to dress up as women and run roughshod over what used to be women's only categories. Biden's new Title IX regulations would essentially make it more difficult, if not dang near impossible, for schools and colleges to keep biological males out of women's sports, bathrooms, and locker rooms. Under these new rules, no school or college that receives federal funding would be allowed to impose a one-size-fits-all policy that categorically bans transgender students from playing on sports teams consistent with their gender identity. If so, that institution would be in violation of Title IX. Yes. Title IX, the statute put in place 50 years ago to further women's rights, activities, and opportunities, has essentially been put through the shredder, and the party that supposedly fights for women is leading the charge. This isn't just ass backwards. This is what amounts to a kick in the ovaries for every biological female out there that will now have to compete against biological men. Change your name, put on a dress, wear lipstick, you're still a man. And while you might be a mediocre man, that doesn't give you license to become a superwoman. And where the hell are the feminists? Y'all are cowards, plain and simple. You're spineless and you're pathetic. And those true feminists who put it all on the line for voting rights, equal pay, and the original Title IX are likely rolling in their graves looking at what you've done to their hard-fought mission. Modern-day feminists are not pro-women, they're just pro-abortion. I guess conservatives will have to pick up the slack and fight for actual women's rights. Conservatives are the new feminists, and we will literally risk physical assault to stand up for real women. This trans craze is a joke. I refuse to buy the BS that all these people in the new trans community actually believe they're a different gender. For many, this is about attention and the need to be acknowledged for something, even if it's not an accomplishment of any sort. They claim trans to be trendy. And beyond just being trendy... They also know once they hide behind the trans label, they're essentially protected and given a pass to do and say whatever the hell they damn well please because this government has established that. You want to talk about toxic masculinity? You know, I'd say a man who masquerades as a woman for attention, money, and celebrity status is the definition of toxic masculinity. But if this is the hill the Democrats want to die on, then fine, enjoy the climb, because we'll be over here on ours fighting for real women, and you can call us every name in the book. We will never cede our ground. Those are my final thoughts. Be sure to catch the entire show as well as exclusive content only on Outkick.com. From Nashville, God bless. Take care.